0: When you meet someone, you're infatuated with them. You're immediately drawn to their good qualities, the thing you really like. You're not seeing the other side. And when you see the other side, you go, oh, I may not want to be with that person. They got too many things I don't like. So we've got like, love. And then from the other aspect, we've got lust. A lot of people mistake, oh, I got a physical attraction for this person. I can't wait to be with them. Lust is just the biological need. I'm in my 50th year of marriage. To the same person, if you can believe it. (laughs) I have, I liked her at the very beginning. I liked her and I lusted her. But over the years, I've learned to accept her. I no longer try to change her. She no longer tries to change me. Because here's the key thing these are the key things about being in a relationship. Number one, you wanna feel free. If you don't feel free, you're gonna rebel. And then Mm -hmm. what's the purpose of a relationship? I believe the purpose is to support and grow each other to share the journey and to have fun. And if you've got that at the basis of your relationship, think about that, your partner gives you freedom to be you, you can be authentic, you're not trying to please them, and you're supporting each other, growing each other, you're on a journey and you're having, oh my God, there's nothing better. And then if you still lust them after almost 50 years, which you will, it's good. With no limitations, What does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am? Have perfect health? Maybe fire your boss? Have the money and
1: freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money,
0: health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most.
1: Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today we have a very special guest coming back again, Reverend Lee Wallach. Reverend Lee Wallach is the founder and senior minister of the Agape Spiritual Center in Frisco, Texas. His mission is to expand human awareness through teaching others how to live consciously and experience a fulfilled and meaningful life. Reverend Lee teaches practical spirituality and a way of life that includes meditation meditation, affirmative prayer, prayer, and affirmations. Reverend Lee loves to travel exploring human behavior and spirituality from all perspectives. Reverend Lee has taken sacred pilgrimages to various parts of India, Nepal, Mount Kailash, and Peru. He's an avid student of Dr. John Martini and is a licensed values facilitator. I am also an avid student of Dr. John Martini, uh, and, and in his daily Facebook and YouTube podcast, Thoughts can change your life. Reverend Lee discusses how we can use practical spiritual tools to live with a greater sense of awareness, experiencing a life overflowing with love and fulfillment. Who doesn't want that? Reverend Lee, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back here on Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome. Bryce, it's good
0: to be with you. I'm so excited to share all the things that you and I are about to talk about because I think it's more relevant now than any time in our history. I think people say there's a lot of fear out there. You know what? Here's what I've discerned. Fear is something that's immediate. So if all of a sudden there is a cobra snake right in front of you, ready to strike, my brother, that's fear. Mm. But if you're thinking about a cobra snake coming in maybe a week from now, well, that's anxiety. And I think what's happened is that we have become a very anxious group of people a world of anxiety. And I think right now, we've got to learn how to take the power back in our lives.
1: Well said. Yeah, well said. That's amazing. And how much of this fear or anxiety is unreal, probably like 95, 99% of it. (laughs) That's amazing. So let's flip on that for a second and go to something a little blissful. Let's talk about what's given you the most gratitude today.
0: The most gratitude today is I'm with you. I get to talk about what I love to talk about. Practical tools that allow us to change our life. And I know we're going to talk about my book. And I can't tell you, it's like I've taken 70 years to birth this. Never mm. in my wild dreams would I have dreamed that I would be an author of a book. And yet I i didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And then here I am now, published.
1: How, how glad I am you that you've done it. Oh, I can't tell you.
0: It's like people look at you different Bryce. You know, I'm sitting here. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got over a thousand videos on my YouTube channel. I've had over a million downloads of podcasts throughout the last 12 years, but by having a book, my God, people look at you. It's like, it's like you got a PhD and everybody knows it. So it's sort of interesting. I'm still the same person. I just have a Mm -hmm. book.
1: Yeah, this and this is a powerful book. The power in you. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And you have really like you said, you compiled 70 years of wisdom in here. We're going to talk about a lot of things that doesn't get taught to us in our normal daily lives. You know, like we can go all the way through school and university and we may not even get to understand the power of the things that you're going to speak to in this book here, one of which you dedicated an entire chapter to gratitude. And we were just talking on gratitude. Um, Do you mind expanding on the power of gratitude for us?
0: Yeah. And did you notice, though, it was the last chapter in the book? I mean, I sort of put everything in front of it. This way, gratitude could include everything. And this Mm -hmm. is what people don't really realize. It's not sitting there and being grateful for the good things that are going on in your life. It's being grateful for everything that has ever happened to you you because there's wisdom and experience that's come from everything that's made you the person you are now. So if you're sitting here and you're not grateful for something in your life, you're denying that aspect of your life. You're sort of saying, I I don't want to be grateful for that. That's horrific. And guess what? That's an energy. And when you put that energy out there, the universe, whatever you want to call it's going to bring more of what you're denying. And so I've learned I think about everything. I had, um, I'm going to give you experience. On December 23rd, I wasn't feeling good. I said, oh, dang, because on the 26th, I was going to go to Denver to visit my granddaughter. I went and got a test. Christmas morning at 2 a.m., I get an email. Lee, you got COVID. And so I said, oh. So then I said, why am I grateful for COVID? Well, I'm not going to infect my granddaughter and all these other people. I know that I've got it. Number two, my God, I get to tr- use my spiritual practices to see how I can do that with practical things to beat COVID. Mm-hmm. Three, I now have antibodies in my body so that I have a, my immune systems more prone not to get it again. And then I use, I use techniques like meditation, deep breathing, mantras. Mm-hmm. Um, I use simple things that I talk about in the book, drinking water. And I will tell you that probably the one thing that really helped me was my, I do Wim Hof deep breathing every day. I've done it for three years. Mm-hmm. My wife and I actually do it together the last two where we sit down and we do four rounds, 16 minutes and some seconds. And when I had COVID every day, I couldn't do the real fast breathing, mm-hmm. but I would breathe in like this. <sighs> my oxygen levels never went below 95 and that's really critical when you're having a respiratory thing. So it's not about knowing the things that you're going to, we're going to be talking around in the book. It's not about knowing that gratitude works. The question is are you doing it?
1: Yeah, and it is a practice and it is a daily practice. I also uh, do Wim Hof breathing. That's actually one of the first things I do in the morning after I take the dogs outside or do Wim Hof breathing and then I'll do half an hour of meditation. I find if, if there's a day where I skip it, I totally feel off. I, I massively notice it. Um, and like you said, it's a really, really powerful tool to be able to bring in the breathing when we are having some kind of health challenge. And you know, speaking to the gratitude side of things, I used to have a little bit of a challenge, having gratitudes for things that I suppose didn't seem like they were serving me at the time, but everything serves us. Um, Now, I've flipped things around because I've had so many challenges over the years, being an entrepreneur, growing a business. And I found at a certain point that every challenge that I had, the bigger the challenge, I was on the precipice of amazing success on the other side of it. So now when I have a big challenge coming, I kind of just scratch my head and go, well, this is going to be a really good one on the other side. And I've got to thank. So every day when I have my little gratitude session and and I'm thankful for the amazing things in my life, one of the things I've added in is being thankful for all the challenges because they allow me to grow. They allow me to expand my comfort zone and become a better version of myself. And I think that's like super important. You
0: know, and I can take COVID even further because I, I have my own ministry here, the Agape Spiritual Center. And when COVID hit, it just put everything at a standstill. And I sort of said, well, there's got to be opportunity. How do I get this message to the world? Well, I went on the web, YouTube, Facebook, everything I could think of. And now I've got people that I talk with regularly all over the world. I've got people I meet with in Lebanon, people I meet with in Europe. I've got people that are talking to us from Australia, and then all over the United States, and I'm finding out now, the classes I'm teaching, 78% of the students are outside of North Texas, where I'm located. Mm, that's where amazing. Two years ago, 100% were in North Texas.
1: Yeah, it's like Zoom just kind of boomed overnight, didn't it? Like not many yes, people were man. using it before that. That's That's great. You know... One of the words that we hear a lot used is the word love. And in my opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, I think that more often than not, it actually gets used out of spiritual context. So what, how would you explain love and how do we know what love truly is? For me, it's interesting because that's the
0: first chapter of the book. That's the foundation of everything I wrote in the book. It's and it's the power of knowing what love is. And I've been pursuing this all my life. I can remember going to Unity Village. I remember talking to Ram Das. I can remember talking to Sadhguru. Ask them all the mm-hmm. questions. And I came down to a real simple thing. Let's imagine, regardless of what your faith is, that you believe in an infinite. That's it, you believe in an infinite. Call it consciousness, call it universal intelligence, call it spirit, call it God, call it anything you want. Well, if there's an infinite, the infinite created everything out of itself and must be created out of itself and be a part of it because it's infinite because there's nothing other than it. So that means Bryce, you're an expression of the infinite. So when the infinite looks at you, it sees itself. So what does it do? It accepts you. And I came to the brilliant, to me, brilliant revelation that love means total acceptance. It has nothing to do with romance. Mm -hmm. And that's the illusion we bought into. So I can sit here and I can look at you and say, Bryce, I love you, which means I accept all of you. I accept you physically, I accept you mentally, I accept you emotionally, I accept your past, your present, and whatever your future is.
1: The positive and the negative. The positive and the negative. Always, both sides, everything. Mm. But here's the
0: key. Now you've got another component. It's an L component. It's the light like component. Now, I may love you. I may not like you. Because here's what I understand. If you take all the thoughts that you've ever had, all the experiences you've ever had, that builds a mental atmosphere, an energy that surrounds you. That goes out into the world. I've got all mine built around me. That goes out in the world. We come together and both of us are vibrating at a slightly different frequency. If our frequencies are similar, we're gonna get along. But if our frequencies are really different, we're not gonna get along, meaning we're not gonna like each other. We tend to like people like ourselves. So if you're not interested in growth, you're not interested in expansion, you're not interested in these things, we're probably not going to hit it off. And so I really make the distinction that like and love are different. And here's a key thing, like wears off. Because when you meet someone, you're infatuated with them. You're immediately drawn to their good qualities, the thing you really like. You're not seeing the other side. And when you see the other side, you go, oh, I may not want to be with that person. They got too many things I don't like. So we've got like, love. And then from the other aspect, we've got lust. A lot of people mistake, oh, I got a physical attraction for this person. I can't wait to be with them. Lust is just the biological need. I'm in my 50th year of marriage to the same person, if you can believe it. <laughs> I have, I liked her. At the very beginning, I liked her and I lusted her. But over the years, I've learned to accept her. I no longer try to change her. She no longer tries to change me. Because here's the key thing. These are the key things about being in a relationship. Number one, you want to feel free. If you don't feel free, you're going to rebel. And then Mm -hmm. what's the purpose of a relationship? I believe the purpose is to support and grow each other, to share the journey, and to have fun. And if you've got that at the basis of your relationship, think about that. Your partner gives you freedom to be you. You can be authentic. You're not trying to please them. And you're supporting each other, growing each other. You're on a journey and you're having, oh my God, there's nothing better. And then if you still lust them after almost 50 years,
1: which you will, it's good that's that's amazing and well said too yeah it's um you know i'm i'm curious to see how you would tie in because you were just talking about the partner that we can be with we may lust them and like them in the beginning, but unless we love them, it's probably not going to be sustainable. And when we love them, we're loving all parts of them, the positive, the negative. There's going to be a portion that's going to be supportive. There's going to be a portion that's going to be challenging. The grass is always greener on the, or browner on the other side, but at the end of the day, you're going to end up with the same thing, challenge and support. Um, and so for someone that you truly do love and someone that shares maybe some of the same values and a similar value hierarchy as others, the people I would find, I personally find that easier to empathize and have compassion for someone that I'm connected with on that level. For other people that I could still love, but maybe not like, um, I still have a little bit of a challenge. Um, sometimes I can be successful at it, but, but still sometimes have a challenge in having empathy and compassion for other people. So, how do we uh, bridge the gap there? And actually, for people that are having challenges with that, how do we make that come to fruition? I want to make
0: a difference. And this is Dr. John Demartini speaking through me right now, the difference between compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. And John describes the literal meaning of the word compassion means to suffer with. Hmm. And so I never am compassionate, because I'm never going to suffer with anyone. But I can be empathetic, which means I understand where they are. And I can accept where they are is because of what life they were brought into and the life choices they've made. So, right now, if you look at the world, the world is polarized beyond belief.
1: Oh, yes.
0: And you got camps, you got camps in just about every possible way. You got to be able to look at someone who's got the opposing views as you and say, that's where they are on their life journey. And if you really think about the fact that if there is an infinite power and presence and we're all infinite expressions of it, that means there will always be infinite expressions of it. There will never be, we will never see things the same way because then the infinite wouldn't be expressing itself. It wouldn't be whole. So when I, I know where you're getting at and I think the biggest work is how do I become an observer step back out of the situation, look at it and realize, I wonder why that person does what they do. I wonder why they feel what they feel. I wonder why they're acting how they're acting. What could have been in their past? And know that they're probably doing, based on their past, they're doing the best that they can. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have them in your life. You can choose to have them not in your life. You can choose to keep only the people that resonate with you. But know that the universe is not going to leave you without that challenge. It's going to bring in people to challenge you. No matter how many people you eliminate, there'll be another one coming in. Because and you said this earlier, the more aware you become, the more you get brought to you to become more aware. See, I don't even like the word to say that I'm going to grow. I believe everything exists within me, within you, with everyone listening, everyone in the world. It already exists, but we're not aware of it. We don't think we're whole, perfect, and complete. We don't believe that we have the power to create our experience. And I really want to make that clear. When I say we create our experience, I don't mean we create everything that happens to us. We live with 7.8 billion people on the planet. We live with Mother Nature and the Earth and all of these other things that are going on. And we have to understand that it's our reaction to everything that determines our life experience. And that we have 100% responsibility for. But most people don't want to accept that responsibility. They want to say, well, they did that, they're responsible. No, how I interpret they did it is how I feel. Mm. That's a big one. That took me a lot of work. And it's still, there are times I'm just not there. I get emotionally triggered just like everyone. And you know, mm. a lot of people talk about, well, when you become enlightened, you won't have this. And I go papakash, just mm. papikash to that. Because I believe because we have an ego and we have a body that we have moments when we feel the divine moments when we feel enlightened, I summarize it as this. It's the moment between the thought. It's the moment between the breath. And when we're there, we don't even know it. It's only until afterwards. Oh, I was there. What's it like? Don't know. There was nothing because you're in between. There's no contrast in that point. So to get there, it's just moments of being the observer. That's why meditation is so critical. It's a single single number one practice I teach and I tell people, I've, I've done Vipassana, Kriya Yoga, um, Transcendental Meditation, Sri you name the derivations of that. Do I practice any one technique? No. I find what works for me in that moment. Mm. I'll scan my body and I'll say, where do I feel an energy block? And wherever I feel an energy block,
1: that's where I, I do my work. Nice. Yeah, and it's, that's actually something that I've been working on quite largely, especially over the last 12 months. I've actually been uh, practicing Vipassana meditation, and um, I've also been practicing being the witness of my emotions, which I, I feel have been very successful in, uh, especially over the last 12 months, especially compared to what it used to be. I used to get very enrolled in my emotions, and become part of it, and let it escalate, um, and I've had the ability to stand back for the majority of the time now, the vast majority, and be able to witness that. And what I'm hearing you speak about empathy is a similar process. And we're standing back and witnessing what's happening with somebody else kind of non judgmentally, maybe we want to take a deeper dive and try and figure out how we could join the dots to how they got to where they are today. But really, it's a non judgmental witnessing standpoint that we can do within ourselves. And then an outward expression of doing that with all of our experiences in the in the real world, so to speak.
0: And, you know, you said something really good there. You talked about not judging them. Well, what's the opposite of judgment? Love. If you're not judging someone, what are you doing? You're accepting them as they are. Mm. So we keep coming back to that idea of acceptance because the only way you can't accept someone is if you're judging them.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, riddle me this, Reverend Lee, because I have a lot of uh, students come to me and investors come to me. They want to take their finances to the next level, um, and when I'm talking from an education standpoint, I can teach people the strategy of how to actually financially do it. Which, in my opinion, is the is the is the tiniest bit that we need to understand. Before that. I, it's my belief that we're not going to be ultra successful in any capacity in our life until we get our head right. And um, you have a chapter in your book where you're actually talking about uh, self-talk. And I know that like my mind, trans- uh, Vipassana meditation, I'm looking to witness and I'm looking to just observe, notice thoughts go by. And by starting to do that, I'm realizing, oh my God, my mind is going a million miles an hour, most of which doesn't serve me at all. Um, How do we we train ourselves to have positive self-talk, self-talk that serves us, self-talk that's going to bring us more love and fulfillment in our life?
0: It's interesting because we have, the psychology says about 60,000 thoughts every day. And most people, those are the same 60,000 thoughts they had the day before. Mm. So if you want to take it, let's say that you've been alive and you've had 600 million thoughts well that creates what a mental atmosphere Mm. that's an energy so the only way you can change that energy because that's what's going to attract is you've got to put new thoughts in and the process that I do is um, I do affirmations I have my mala beads which are from uh, the east 108 beads you can get them anywhere everyone's got mala beads and I literally do 30 affirmations every day. Mm-hmm. I do them each 24 times. If something's going on in my life, I'll do an affirmation 500 times. When I was given a mantra, I was given a mantra by a, a guru in India. And he says, I want you to do this mantra 100,000 times in three months. And I said, Why? what's the purpose of it he said there's a vibration that comes from saying these sanskrit words that when it gets implanted within you when something goes on later on you say the mantra it removes the energy blockage in you and i and i listened to the mantra and i went i'll never learn how to say that because sanskrit is difficult when you come <laughs> from in my mind of an english speaker all these years he he goes I said I would do it. I committed my word to myself, not my word to the guru, to myself. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I do I did the mantra. I did it over a hundred thousand times in three months. The mantra was om shrim hrim clean gum gum ganapate, veravada, sarvajaname, washamaneya swaha. Now that doesn't sound like anything to you or any of the listeners, but as you do it, the vibration of those words has an impact on the energy that you are. But let me bring it back to our English, our Western people. My, mantra, my, my affirmation's are real simple. I'm connected, whole, worthy and powerful and I live in the awareness I'm one with infinite mind. That's the first affirmation I do every day. Second affirmation I do every day is, I know that the infinite wisdom within me will open my heart and guide and direct my every thought, word, and action. Today, I consciously choose to create an experience, a lavish, healthy, abundant, and purpose-filled life. And I go through all of my 30 affirmations. I know them by heart because I've done them so many times. So what happens for me, Bryce, is that When something comes up in my life, and it's challenging everything, what's going to pop up the affirmation that I've been saying, and it reminds me of the truth, so that I can deal with the situation as a in a response way instead of a reactionary way. So you sort of got to find how can you change your mental atmosphere? What can you impress upon you? And you were talking about dealing with people who want to get wealth and you teach them how to get wealthy. I'm teaching a class right now called the science of getting rich by Wallace Wattles. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic book. Mm -hmm. And while Wallace says in the book, so clearly, focus on the wealth vision you've created put an image around it, put a commitment around it, put feelings around it and start living it and never, ever, ever look at anything else. Never look at poverty, never look at lack, never take any of those negative things in because when you take those negative things in, you slow down or you stop the creative process of the universe. And he's really bold. He says, you don't have to read another book only after you've demonstrated your money, maybe then you read another book and play, but you understand the process that you've got to get your mind and it's your, really your belief, right? And so let me go and define that in my way. I've not heard anyone say this, but for me, a belief are your thoughts, words, actions and feelings aligned toward a specific result held persistently and consistently consciously and unconsciously when you've built a belief it's underneath in your mind and it's running 24/7 and it's creating your life so you want to know what your beliefs are look at your life your life is always mirroring back to you that so if you're not wealthy realize you don't have wealthy beliefs i didn't realize how this was so limiting I set a belief, I set a belief, I wanna have a net worth of $2 million. Do you know how limiting that is? Because I have that, I don't have more. So I've got to now create a new belief. Mm. It's so ingrained, I put so many years in saying, I wanna be this net worth and I limited myself I could have said, I want to have a minimum of 2 million and maybe a lot more or a lot more. Keep it open-ended when you build an expectation. Ooh, I'm about to go off on another tangent here because our expectations are everything. In studying with Dr. John D. Martini, he will tell you that all depression, all anxiety is the results of trying to live up to unrealistic expectations, either set by ourselves or we've allowed others to set for us. Mm. So when I start looking at that, whoa, and most people, when they come in, let's say they say, I want to be a multimillionaire, but they're sitting there with $100,000 of credit card debt. I said, maybe your expectation is a little bit too far-fetched. Maybe you should set an expectation is, I am free of all debt. Maybe we start building toward being a millionaire. Get an expectation that is manageable and then start taking steps toward it. You're not going to jump from $100,000 of debt to being zero overnight. Not going to happen. But what step can I take today? what step can I take tomorrow? How can I use my gifts to bring this gifts and make them valuable to others and serve more and more and more people so that they give me more and more energy back, which money is. That's all money is. It's an exchange of energy. It's a measurement of that exchange. Mm.
1: Yeah. And you know, the people, the way most people do, Uh, or look at these kinds of things is the opposite of what you just said. You're saying set your intentions on what you want, get your vision, stick to it, don't be wavered on it, just like keep going on it, don't doubt it, just go for it. And I'm actually looking at my vision board right now. And I was kind of reflecting on some of the main achievements that I've made since my beginning of spiritual growth and uh, growth as an entrepreneur. And I did exactly that. I mean, I had a I think I had a five page description of what my house and what my property was going to look like in the future. Now we're living in that house on that property, which fits probably 80% of what we wrote down in the beginning. Um, But so many people look at their circumstances right now and their past circumstances and think that their present and their past equals the future and it will if they continue down that path, but you're actually saying the opposite doesn't matter. You could be homeless. You could be unforeseen circumstances. But if you truly, truly in your core, really, really believe it, and even in the beginning, if you don't believe it, you can program yourself to believe it along the way. But you have to like really, really believe in this and and grow on that bill uh, that belief, and uh, it it can come into fruition. You know, it's I
0: think building a belief, as I reflect on my life, is a lot easier when you're young the older you get, the more difficult it is to change the belief because you've had so many more thoughts that have anchored in old views, old beliefs. Because I can remember I was brought up by uh, my father was Polish. His parents immigrated from Poland. My mother was an immigrant from Italy. We were They were in the Italian section of Detroit, the Polish section of Detroit. They met working at Chrysler's, got married, had kid and said, I don't wanna raise my kid this way. So they moved to Dearborn, Michigan. They had probably one of the poorest houses in Dearborn, but Dearborn was a wealthy community. You had all of the Ford, General Motors and Chrysler executives and upper managers living there. So I went to school with those kids. And so when I went over to my, my friend from elementary school, Greg's house, I saw this fantastic ranch with a walkout basement. His father was in a country club. He was a VP. He did all of this. I looked at my life in 2004 and I had everything I saw back in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I wasn't happy because it wasn't my dream. I adopted Mm. someone else's dream. Mm. Now, I don't regret it. I'm living in that house. I love my home absolutely love everything I've got. But the key for me is how do I find what juices me? That's my favorite word, Royce or Bryce. If you don't realize it, juice is my favorite word, because if you don't (laughs) feel juice about something, why are you doing it? Yeah. If you look at your partner and you're not juiced about being with them, you got to change your perspective about your partner. Because how you look at your partner is a reflection of how you look at yourself. Because if your partner's not juicing you, it means you don't feel you're worthy of being juiced.
1: Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned this. Um, I actually had to, in the beginning of this year, I chose to um, say no to a lot of things because uh, I last year, I was out of balance. And I was spending way too much time on the entrepreneurial side. And that was affecting a lot of the other areas of my life negatively. And I had to get back in balance. And so I was kind of reflecting at the end of last year, I spent about two weeks in solitude meditating, and really taking a deep dive to get in touch with what I truly felt. And I really I realized there was tons of things that I'd committed to and promised and to myself and said that I was going to do that weren't actually aligned with my values. They weren't aligned with the core of what I wanted to do. Um, but, I, but I felt really compelled to kept pushing through these things because I'd said that I was going to do it and I wanted to honor my word. Um, and so you, you spoke about that before, too. Uh, about the importance of honoring our word. Um, If you could speak on two things, one, the importance of having balance and doing things in alignment with what is truly important to us and also for us to honor our word.
0: Yeah, next to me, I always have my little chart. I don't know if people can see it. It's got my mission, my purpose and my top values. I don't do anything in my life that doesn't fit that. I delegate it or I find a way not to do it. I basically created a vision for my, first off, I believe in the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. You do 20% of the effort and you're going to get 80% of the result. If you put more effort in, you've got to discern whether or not it's worth putting that effort in. So I look at life that there's five areas, money, career, relationships, uh, health, and spirituality. And basically what I do is I put 20% of my effort into each of those areas, I get 80% result like that. Now, will I be able to do that all the time? No, because things come in and I got to put more effort in because a crisis will occur or a challenge will occur. But if you keep coming back to that, for example, when I had COVID, I couldn't exercise. So what could I do when I had COVID? I could quiet my mind and meditate more. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything financially. Here's the thing with financial. I'm going to go into the financial run. Automate it. Automate as much of your financial. I almost never touch my money. First off, the money is automatically deposited into my accounts secondly my credit cards are automatically paid for me third my giving the giving that i do and i think it's important people give because if you're not giving you're saying to the universe i don't believe in the law of circulation Mm -hmm. give to i would say give to where you're spiritually fed and i'll even change that and say give to whatever's feeding you whatever's growing you because you've got to have an exchange of energy so here and then my, all my investing is automated. 30% of all the money that comes into GNI is automatically invested. 10% is automatically given. 10% is fun. And the remainder is for bills. So I've automated that. I don't even have to think about my finances now. So now you come and let's look at the spiritual side. You find out what works for you. Breathing, meditation, affirmations, gratitude. My main four. I've scheduled them into my day. Mm. I do three of them first thing when I wake up, and I do one of them just before I go to bed. It's a part of my life. Now you get into the, into the physical aspect. I cook for myself, I eat from I'm not like Di Martini. Di Martini, never, ever, ever, ever cooks. <laughs> I love to cook. Because I get to put love into my food. See, I'm half Italian. And my Mm -hmm. mother told me, Lee, when you cook, you put love into the food. And believe it or not, there's an energy. Because what you eat becomes your body. What you drink becomes your body. So in COVID, I couldn't work out. And I I work out six days a week. Man, the second I got over it, I started doing the gentle workout. I fell off. And then I came back. And now I'm back to 100% of what I was doing prior to COVID, a little over a month. That's pretty good when you're 70 years of age. When you talk about your career, my career right now is my biggest opportunity because the world has changed so much. Traditional spirituality, spiritual communities, it's not the same. It doesn't work. Go look at a church. If you're a part of a church, you'll know your attendance is at least cut in half, if not more. People are broken the habit. People never really were really into church. It was just a habit. Most people were not invested. And so now, how do you bring spirituality to the world? I wrote a book. I'm now marketing that book all over the world. Not to sell the book, but to give people the tools, because I want to hear the stories of how they used it. I had a gentleman in our agape gathering last night or two, yeah, last night. And he's from Illinois. He's in the middle of Illinois and he, he builds septic systems. He's his own businessman. And he's there and he said to me, he says, you know, remember a year ago, we did the values determination process. You walked me through it, got really clear. And I go, yep. He says, I went to my accountant two weeks ago. We went over my finances and he goes, what the hell happened? In one year, you tripled your net worth. Wow. He says, I didn't work any harder. He says, I just don't do anything that's not on my values. I am really clarity. clear. And, and why I'm saying that is because if you know your values, see, most people will do the values determination process. And a week later I'll walk up to embrace and I'll say, Tell me your one, two, and three. They can't tell me. Then I say, Well, how can you make decisions based on it? Because if you know your values, you've got them up there. And someone's says would you do this for me you look at your values if it doesn't fit you say thank you but that's not something that i want to prioritize in my life so you get to the point where you can use the power of no because the power of no is really saying yes to what you want
1: Mm. And only having space for the things that you want, because whether we're conscious of it, or we're unconscious or subconscious of it, we are going to make, uh, we are going to be driven towards the things that are aligned with our values. Even if we know what our values are not, we're going to be taking those actions. So we're best off actually understanding what they are so we can consciously make better decisions, things that serve us.
0: In in my relationship with my wife and everyone that I'm close to, I have one agreement. And I, I read the book, The Four Agreements, and then the mm-hmm. Fifth Agreement by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yep. And I said, those are great, but let me, what, what do I need? What would make my relationship with people better? And I came up with this agreement. And it is, you have to ask for what you want when you want it. So if I, if I break that down, that my wife, Jean, and I have that agreement, that means I never, ever, ever worry about what's going on in her mind. I never think about I wonder what she's thinking about that. I wonder what she wants. Because if she doesn't ask, I'm not responsible. I don't have to waste a second of my life worrying about that. And I do that with everyone. And people have a hard time with it. Well, you, You're just insensitive. I said, no. I'm just really clear. So when I go to my community and I say to them, remember, if you need support, you must reach out and ask because I am not a shepherd and I'm not going to follow you around and ask. And that people, well, you've got to do that. You're a minister, a minister, a shepherd. I said, not this minister. You don't see any sheep behind me, do you? (laughs) You know? And so it's really it has improved my relationship with my wife infinitely with my sons i'm even teaching my 3 almost 4 year old granddaughter that
1: almost was saying, well, Baba, uh... you should have done that
0: i said claire did you ask no then baba's not going to do it you have to ask oh okay so if i can implant that in a 3 year old oh my god how powerful is that and i want to share with the with the audience the people who use this <laughs> It takes time for, let's say you're using it with your life partner. If you have a spouse or a life partner, it takes time to get used to it. So when they come to you and say, well, why didn't you do this? And you say, well, you didn't ask. And they say something, you simply say, remember, we're working on an agreement together. And if we keep working on this agreement, it's gonna make both of our lives so much easier. You don't say you're wrong. You simply say, hey, we have an old habit and we're trying to break the old habit. And society is out there. And believe me, society, women will walk up. My husband should know what I'm thinking. We've been married for 15 years. I was at a gathering and a woman told me that. And I said, really? Do you know what he's thinking? Do you really know what he's thinking? Well, yeah, he's thinking about this. And I said, chances are a majority of the time, have you asked him? Well, yeah, he says he's thinking about nothing. And I said, tell you what? If a man tells you he's thinking about nothing, he's not. There are times I'm just sitting here. My wife walks up. What are you thinking about, Lee? Nothing. I'm chilled. If I'm thinking about something, I tell her. I want to share with her. And here's the key thing about sharing. I share after I've thought about it. Mm. Because I realize I've got to be clear so that I'm not putting something out there that might be toxic. And that's what we tend to do. We want to just vomit out everything we're thinking. Well, wait a second, no, you've got a brain. This is more powerful than the most powerful computer. Why don't you process it a little bit? But we've been brought up with this idea that we have to act immediately on something. The more serious something is, the more time we should pause. I had an event with someone several weeks ago that wanted an immediate response. I waited three days because I didn't want to react. Mm -hmm. And after I responded, my conclusion was this, is that this person wanted to compromise. And I hate the word compromise because the word compromise means both people lose. Mm. What I said is, can we collaborate Can we find a way where both of us win? Now, that's going to take a lot more work,
1: but that's going to make a much better relationship for us. Yeah, wow. And, you know, speaking on that, um, the path of trying to figure out what someone else is thinking or trying to figure out what their problem is, it's almost an infinite path of assumptions. Like, how could we ever do that anyway? um but you know in your book you're giving people the power to be able to tap into that and the power to use their voice and uh you know this this is not taught in school our society doesn't tell us these things our society teaches us how to be a good boy and girl and go to school do as your teacher says put your hand up and ask to go to the toilet and go get a job and then go fit into the workforce and that's around about it but there's there's all of the things outside of that are really the true powerful things. Like imagine if we had a class in school about gratitude. Imagine if we had a glass in school about self-talk and how to express ourselves and communication and relationships. I mean, mind boggling, but this is what you're doing here. You're overcompensating for a system that's kept all of this information essentially hidden and you've compiled it all in one book, um, which is going to expand people's awareness, which is also a topic that you talk about in your book, awareness. And it's something that I personally believe is a very, very diminishing um, art these days. I mean, kids are essentially born with like a computer in front of their face, um, overabundance of choices absolutely unaware of what's in the physical, in the material world here, totally taken up with a world that really doesn't even exist. So how important is awareness? How do we tap into it?
0: That's like the biggest question you've asked. Awareness is to see beyond your limited perceptions and that there is an infinite world of possibility available to you. And if you can expand 0.1 of a percent every day of your life, think about where you would be at 70 years of age or 80 years of age. You will have lived a life where you still would have experienced just a teeny, teeny, teeny bit of it. Awareness is the ability to realize when you're reacting and when you're responding. It's the awareness to be aware that when are you judging? When are you holding? When does your ego want to be right instead of being open to see something new? When is it? When awareness is? Why am I only getting this when I could be having so much more? Awareness is. Have I bought into someone else's values? As you were talking, all I could think about is Pink Floyd. Another brick in the wall. That's all I thought about. And then <laughs> the chorus of the song, we don't need mm. your education. We don't need your thought control mm. because you've got to realize that the system that we live in is about controlling us. If it doesn't control us, the system can't live. Mm. But I truly believe that what if we got out of a competitive capitalism and got into a collaborative capitalism with the understanding that is in an infinite universe and there's infinite resources out there and there is enough wealth for everyone. So why can't we teach, instead of giving handouts to poor people, why can't we teach them the philosophy of being wealthy? Because until we teach them the philosophy of being wealthy, they'll always be looking for a handout. Now that doesn't mean you don't help them Get the basic needs because you can't focus on mind expansion, becoming more aware, all of that until you have food, water and shelter Mm -hmm. and you feel safe. Mm -hmm. This is really that word. The last word I said was a really key word. How safe do you feel to be you? How safe do you feel in your job? How safe do you feel with money? How safe do you feel where you live? How safe do you feel being open, honest, and authentic in your relationships? And when you break it down, when I talk with people in counseling and coaching and in classes, safety is critical because people have not yet been able to go far enough into awareness to realize that they're fully free, Mm -hmm. that they don't have to be tied down. They're so hung up, I want to be safe. Look at what the narrative is that's being thrown to the people right now oh on COVID. If you want to be safe, you got to do this. If you want to be safe, you want to do this. If you want to be safe, you want to do this. What we've gone away from is having constructive dialogue. Yeah. When I see this, I would love to get Dr. Fauci and Dr. Peter McCullough, who are very different in their approaches, I would like to see them in a panel with a with a, a moderator, and ask them questions and to bring their data and to have an open, honest discourse.
1: We're purposefully not seeing that. We're purposefully not seeing that because it's meant to be censored because we're only meant to hear one thing.
0: Yep, that's about control, isn't it? Mm -hmm. See, I'm about, let's, let's get all the brightest minds in the medical and scientific field together and let's collaborate. Let's not compromise. Mm-hmm. I think we would be so much better off asking questions. Well, wait a second. Who is really being affected by this disease? The ones that are most affected. let's put our biggest emphasis there. One size does not cure all. And that's what we try to do. We, try, we don't realize we have 7.8 billion individualized expressions, and no two people are even alike. Mm-hmm. And that's what John teaches when he talks about understanding the hierarchy of your values, mm-hmm. that no two people on the planet will have the same hierarchy of values. Because here's the key. Every human being has 4,628 human traits. You can't deny that you have them. You have them. But what do you accent? Mm. This percent here, this percent here. And you think about it, man, there's infinite possibilities about who you could be, depending on where's your focus. What are you predetermined with? Unfortunately, what we don't understand is that from the age of zero to seven, the child is in the theta state, which is the hypnotic state. Everything that the parent says, the school says, the church says, uh, magazines say, TV says, the child automatically absorbs it and believes it to be true. Mm. And they really don't start getting full capacity to think. With the male, it's 27, I think, and the female, 26. So full discernment doesn't come there, but they have already been programmed to be a part of, I'll use the word, machine of society. Mm. Mm. What if we taught our kids to think for themselves?
1: That's the other important piece right now. You're talking about, hey, let's bring this uh, board of, of medical people together and maybe people from other industries to have a collaborative conversation about it so that we can bring all the facts and data to the table so each individual can use their own discernment, take a look at themselves, figure out their own risk reward profiles and see where they fit into things and make decisions for themselves that would just be such an amazing, powerful way to um, work through some of these challenges that we have right now. But it's certainly not what's getting thrown at us, which means that we have to crank up even harder on all of these powers that you're talking about in the power of you um, to be able to navigate through this essentially very confusing environment because we're being told things that don't make sense. We're being tried to be forced to do things that aren't in our best interest. They may be in somebody's best interest, but it's not ours. Um, And I know there's a lot of confused people out there right now.
0: And you know, the most difficult thing in the world today is to be unique Mm. because it's coming at you from every angle possible you need to fit in. I get that all the time. I get that from my community. You need to be a minister that's like this. You need to be a husband that's like this. You need to be a father that's like this. You need to be a grandfather that's like this. You need to be like this to um, be healthy, to be all of these things. And I'm saying no, but you're constantly being bombarded. And let me say, Bryce, it's You've got, to be, you've got to be a warrior. You've got to be courageous to be able mm-hmm. to say no, because you're going to be saying no to people that you believe are the most important people in your life. And you've got to be able to stand for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So my wife and I had a conversation two weeks ago. And it was this. I said to my wife, I said, in my life, I am by far the most important person. I am the most important person in my life. And I want you to understand that. Mm -hmm. In my life, you are the second most important person. Without a shadow of a doubt, no one comes before you other than me. Mm -hmm. In my life, my granddaughter is my third most important because she's not quite four. So she needs guidance and support. I'm there. After her comes my three sons. They're my most important after that. After them comes my best friends five. Mm -hmm. After that comes uh, the people who are invested in my community. After that, everyone else. And what I learned is that in psychology, you'll have at most three to five best friends. Mm -hmm. Then you'll have friends between 12 and 15. Everyone outside that is part of your tribe. 150 people in your tribe. Outside of that, it's just everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so, when you're looking at people that are in your life and you're discerning about where are you going to put your time and you've got to make decisions, you got to look at where are they in the circle. Mm -hmm. And you say yes or no based on that. I lost um, one of my five in the beginning of December, a prayer partner that I had for 16 years. Couple years older than me, middle of the night, had a heart attack and died, and she was perfectly healthy. Caught caught me. The wind just sucked the energy out of me because I wasn't expecting it. I just prayed with her two days earlier. I had no idea. And what I came to understand was over the last year, she was not being creative She lost the juice to create things. And she would say to me, I don't know what to create anymore. And this was a very creative person, extremely creative. And I realized that what we teach in religious science is when the body and mind are no longer serving the soul, for the soul to advance in its journey, the soul releases the body and mind so it can go forward. And that's what happened. The creative process stopped within her. And therefore she let it go to move on. But yet I grieved. I I just didn't understand. We're all going to grieve, but I understand that's life. Now the question is, okay, I got this void. Who's going to move in? I'm allowing the universe to give me signs about who might that next person move into my inner circle. Because I love having friends.
1: Mm. You know, um, the power of letting go is very it's a very strong power. It's actually something that I'm actually working through right now, I've, I've had my own personal challenges in recent times. And part of that I still feel even though I feel like I've worked through a significant portion of it, I still feel like I am holding in certain energies. And I know I need to let them go and express them in different ways. Could you give us maybe a couple of practical tools and methods um, that we could use to help us let go? Yeah, first off,
0: stop taking things for granted. That's a really big one when you're talking about letting go. Um, uh, I'll share one with you. Um, I had to let go of the idea that I am an exception and I'm always in perfect health and nothing ever happens to me. And I've been saying that from the (laughs) platform, I've been saying it from the YouTube thing. And then what happens in 1998? I'm in the hospital with uh, bacterial pneumonia. Then what happens the next year? I fall because my garage floor had a little piece of water. I was working, I twisted and turned too quick. I fell, I fell, broke my hip, had to have a hip replacement. Not only did I have a hip replacement, three months later, the doctor says, you're great. I said, I'm not great, this ain't right. I said, one leg's shorter than the other. And he looked and he says, well, it is. Well, we'll give you a lift. And I said, no, you won't. Picture a 45-year-old man in front of you who wants to hike the Himalayas. What would you do? He says, well, I put an extender in. I says, you're going to do that. So then, what do I get? COVID. So it really made me let go of the idea that nothing bad could happen to me. It can happen to me. And when it does, I have to accept it. You know, my wife learned the lesson when we first got married. And it was a difficult lesson because her parents didn't like me. They didn't like me because I'm a free thinker and they were very controlling and they Mm -hmm. wanted to control her. And they knew when she married me, that was never going to happen. So my wife had to let go of her mom and dad for our relationship. And she didn't see them because they didn't want to for five years. And then it was a gradual process of coming back. It took probably 10 years. And then we started to build, let them come and see the grandchildren, bring the grandchildren to them. And then when her mother died, they were at peace. But there had to be a letting go
1: before coming together. And how did she let go? Was it more of a conscious choice and a new intention to set moving forward? Was there breakthrough exercises? Like walk me through it.
0: She made a conscious choice. And my wife is the most incredible, intuitive processor. She basically said, okay, all that energy there, I'm putting on Lee. I'm putting into my career. And then when kids came, I'm putting into the kids. And then she realized she no longer had to please her mom and dad. And she realized, and this is a really big one, realize that your parents, regardless of who they were and how they treated you, they did the best that they could. They couldn't have done anything different. If they could have chosen to be better, they would have. Even if they beat you every day, that was probably the best they could do. My father was one of 10 children, immigrants. And his father and all the whole family were alcoholics when they became adults my father and his brothers and sisters were beaten every day my father hit me once think about what a progression that was Mm. in awareness my father never told me he loved me until he was 69 going in to have a tumor removed from his brain and i looked him in the eyes and i said dad you're not going in there until I tell you, I love you. I want mm. you to know how special you are. And tears just flowed from his eyes. And he says, Lee, I've always loved you. I just didn't know how to say it because my parents never taught me. Mm. And I just, tears, I just wept, Bryce, because I didn't know what his upbringing was. I didn't know where he came from. So I didn't know why he was responding that
1: way. A very easy way to judge people too, and just yeah, you know. And when he was when he was getting close to death, and I was taking, I was his
0: primary um power of attorney, medical power of attorney, and all that. And he would look at me and he would talk, I would talk to him about some spirituality. He would go, Lee, I'm a simple man. When I die, I don't know what's gonna happen. I just accept whatever it is, it is. He says, That's all I know. And I said. That's great, dad. That's just where you are. Because I'm not, I don't know if I'm right, Bryce. I have no clue whether I'm right or wrong. But I'm living my life as full as I can. And I'm going to try to do that without fear or anxiety. I want to be fully present in the moment. I want to enjoy every experience. Like doing a podcast like this. I I get juiced. I couldn't (laughs) wait to talk to you today.
1: Excellent. We're connecting right now. We are authentically connecting, engaging, being present with each other. Um, In my opinion, something that's very uh, absent in most of the world right now. There are a lot of forces trying to stop us from being connected. How important is connection right now? It's everything.
0: I do a Wednesday gathering on Zoom, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. I have people all the world come. They're starving to be seen. They're starving to just share and be heard. Last night, I asked my group, I had 14 people in this gathering. I asked them, what concerned you the most? What is the greatest obstacle that you've got? And they started to open up. And then the others would open up and they realized, they were all sharing similar concerns. They weren't alone going through this journey. And people feel alone. They feel isolated. And whatever we can do to get them to realize you're not alone. There are things out there, people out there, groups out there that you can tap into that will lovingly support you. The people in my Zoom groups, I know each of them one-on-one just from Zoom. I feel like The only thing I can't do with them is it's hard to give them a hug when they're thousands of miles away.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But other than that, you can be intimate with people. You can share your authenticity because that's what intimacy is, but you got to not be afraid to show you. Um, I look at um, I'm going to give you my definition of humble because a lot of people are watching me right now and they may be judging me saying, he knows too much. How did he know so much? And that type of thing. I'll tell you what, I'm very confident in what I know. But I also want you to know that there's an infinite more, amount more for me to learn. Mm. I know just a small fraction of what life has to teach. So I'm open to that new possibility. And when you do that, you realize, hmm, that's where everyone is they know something that's really important to them, what they value most, but they have more to learn too. So look at the Dalai Lama. He's got more to learn. Look at Martini; He's got more to learn. No one knows it all. There should be a DNA in us, and I think there is, that's got an insatiable desire to learn more.
1: Yeah, I certainly have that gene for sure, and I've experienced that lately with my wife. You know, I look at where we were ten years ago, how much we've advanced, how much our consciousness has expanded. It's like, oh my God, I feel like you know, people are walking around like this, and then we we're walking around like this. But then I also know there's other people walking around like this, you know, and and I'm just, we we just had a moment of excitement of just going, man what's it going to be like in 10 years? What is our, what is our awareness going to be like then? You know, cause I know that there's just, so there's probably people looking at us going, Oh, those guys are just getting started. <laughs>
0: yeah. And surround yourself with people that are expanded thinkers, at least have one or two of them in your inner circle or the, or to connect with people online that expand your, your thought process. That's the most important. Have people in your life that ask difficult questions. I ask difficult questions all the time of people, and they puts them on the spot, but they say, that's why I'm here, because no one's asking people difficult questions. They all want to get along. Let's be people pleasers. Well, that's not expansive
1: you have to have ruthless compassion to be in that position. Um, Well, maybe compassion isn't the right word. Ruthless empathy. Suffering with other people, but ruthless empathy, um, because it takes courage for you to do that. And you would only do that and probe and push through those things if you thought that you were going to serve other people by doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I really, really appreciate all we've shared today. Um, I could keep talking about this book for hours, but I know that we have to wrap things up here. Um, Any final thoughts, anything you want to share on the power in you?
0: Yeah, it's on Amazon if you're looking for it. Um, Read each chapter separately. Don't read the book at once. Um, Read the introduction. You'll hear part of my story there. Because anything I teach, if I haven't proven to myself, I won't teach it. I have to prove it. The -hmm. first chapter is critical. Go over that chapter twice because discovering what love really is, that's the foundation of life. The second chapter of, of the power of knowing who you are, you know what love is, you know who you are, that's your pillars, that's your foundation. Then you've got all these other powers after that. And the final power is gratitude. If you can embrace this, my God, you're going you're gonna to take your life to a whole new trajectory. And Bryce, I want to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be with you again. I so appreciate the, your honesty, your integrity, your authenticity, and your willingness to serve people. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, brother. And the same back at you, man. It's always a pleasure. I love the energy you bring to the table. I love, you know, your authenticity. I love your stories. Um, it's always a pleasure. i love to have you come back do an episode free where you can share all of the success stories and the adventures that people have had post experiencing the power in you. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing everything today. Real quickly, uh, before we sign off here, how do people get their hands on The Power In You? How do people keep the conversation going with you?
0: Um, Go to Amazon, The Power In You, Rev Lee Wallach, W-O-L-A-K. That's one thing. Also, find me on YouTube. I've got a channel. I've got over a thousand videos out there. Every day, I do a guided meditation at 7 a.m. Central Time. If you went to agapespiritualcenter.com, hit the calendar, you'll get the Zoom link. Also, on Facebook, either Rev. Lee Wallach, Lee Wallach, or Agape Spiritual Center, and YouTube, every day I do a 10-minute talk at 8 a.m. on something practical that's affecting my life. And I ask those questions, and you can respond to me in the chat thing, but... There's so many things. Everything's on agape spiritualcenter.com. Love to have you connect with me. Love your feedback on the book.
1: Beautiful. And we're going to have all of those links in the show notes, so make sure to check them out. Reverend Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure for all of our freedom hackers. Until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio. And I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform, hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us Along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.